grab that last cup of coffee and grab a seat and grab your Bibles. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is the story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about... You can do a little better than that. We say it's all about Jesus. Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so uh, if you forgot your Bible, uh, one of our ushers will get one to you. You can just slip up your hand and they'll get one to you. Uh, If... uh, you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's try that again. Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. We got a little bit of a group think here for good reason. And, uh, and so uh, turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8. And if you're new to the scriptures, you can start in the right and turn left. You'll find it much faster. Um, You'll find some guys' names two-thirds of the way through the book. You'll see Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. John 8. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to mark that page. And then I want you to turn to Philippians 4, which is on to the right. You'll see the epistles. You'll see Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians Philippians 4 and so mark that because we're gonna we're gonna jump over there and I promise I'll try to get to it sooner than I did in the first service and manage my time a little better but I want you to look first at John chapter 8 starting in verse 48 it says this the Jews answered him we are not are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? I mean, uh, hey, Terry, won't you? I got a little bit of a booming echo here. Maybe some of the, the low end needs to come out. That's better. Perfect. Does that sound better to you guys? Amen. Aren't you thankful for all our volunteers who make this happen every single week? Thanks, Terry. Um, are we not right in saying you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. He is the judge. He's speaking of the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What a verse to underline and put an asterisk beside of it. Anyone who keeps his word, will he will never see death. Death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, and of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. 
If I were to say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. What a statement for Jesus to make. Abraham, the patriarch who's gone who's uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Have you, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You're going to want to put in, uh, an underline underneath that, put an asterisk beside it. One of the most profound statements that Jesus ever made. Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, because, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask you for your grace that you would help us navigate this passage, that you would help us in all things to see you more clearly, that we may do good works that you've set as an example for us, that we may glorify you, bring honor to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Let me give you some, some kind of context and expectation for what I want to try to do in this particular sermon. Here, here's my goal this morning is to look at what Jesus actually said, who he was, and in other words, who he actually claimed to be. There's some discrepancy in the two, but who he actually was and who he claimed to be and how that actually has implications for our present day now, how we see our past, how we look at the present day, and how ultimately we hope for the future. So here's what I want to do in the sermon. I want to look at who Jesus is, who he claimed to be, and how that has implications for the present day, how we see the past, present, and how we hope for the future. Amen? And so let me give you some context for what Jesus says in this particular passage, because it's passages like this that bring to the forefront the argument that C.S. Lewis made popular. He basically said that you cannot put Jesus in a category of one among many because because of the types of things that Jesus said. You can't simply say that he was a good teacher or a good prophet and put him in a lineup of other religions. Well, why? Because of the types of things that he actually Said. See, maybe you've had someone knock on the door, uh, open up a Bible that looks like yours, and they have posted notes and, and highlighted marks, and they want to take you through different parts of their particular Bible and claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. And yet you get to passages like this in John where Jesus makes this bold statement where he says, Before Abraham was, I Am. What a statement. He's actually saying what the scriptures would tell us came from the burning bush in Moses where he says, who shall we tell the children of Israel that sent us? And he says, tell them, I am that I am. I'm everything. I am the 
totality of all that you could hope for and dream for. If you've ever thought of the essence of love, where do we even get the concept? It is found in the I am. All that we hope to be, he is and he claims to be. And yet what we find is this propagation that people want to suggest that Jesus would stand arm in arm with the religious leaders of our, the his, history's past and he would get along with everyone. But yet, although we want to make the claim of what Je- what would Jesus do and in other words we want to speculate on what we think Jesus would do rather than actually looking at what Jesus actually did we can look at passages like this and discover what Jesus did here's what we can't do is say that Jesus everywhere he went just loved everyone and got along with everyone someone say oh no to that Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus get along with everyone everywhere he went? True or false? False. Man, I got some Bible babies back here. What about you guys? Right? Uh, Right? Jesus, uh, did he get, uh, Jesus got along with everyone everywhere he went. True or false? False. Why? Because of the things he actually said. Because everywhere he went, what he would say was out of the essence of who he was, which he claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. And so whenever he spoke, he spoke out of the essence of who he was. Last week we talked about that he says, you're of your father. He gives a contrast to those he's talking to. He says, you're of your father, the devil, who out of his being, out of his character, he lies. He cannot tell the truth. It just is who he is. And the contrast is the person of Jesus, who is the walking embodiment of truth. So all that he says is true and yet the truth will be the thing that divides the truth will be the thing that shakes things up the truth will be the thing that pierces at the core of who we are it causes a shake up and yet that's exactly what we find Jesus doing here. Jesus goes to this festival, and here's where we've been in the text. Is, and there, there's, there's been this ongoing religious ceremony and ritual and, and, and these monuments that are being built to Israel's historical past, and they, they are celebrating, and Jesus has went down and stirred things up with the types of things he said. He does not avoid confrontation. He actually goes headlong into people he knows that he will disagree with, knows that will confront him, and yet he speaks the truth to them. And this particular festival is very interesting where we find Jesus constantly giving these discourse and saying these things. Where they're at is they're at this festival called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacle, or another word would be the Festival of Lights. And so here's what they did. They actually were celebrating when they were in the wilderness in between their exodus from Egypt and going into the Promised Land. Now, now here's kind of the problem with this particular festival. And it seems strange to me that they would celebrate 
celebrate something like this, that actually it was a celebration of how they got lost for 40 years in the wilderness on an 11-day journey. <laughs> right? Like, let's celebrate that, right? Like, uh, like, who would want to memorialize and honor a mistake like that. So here's what they would do is to celebrate the wandering, to kind of to to kind of reshape how they looked at that event. They they started this thing called the Festival of Booths, the 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 Festival of Tents or Tabernacles. And God uses this to show them what to foreshadow what he'll ultimately do and where we find ourselves in the text is just before we get to this statement from Jesus before he went to the festival his brothers were going to the festival and everyone's going to be there it's like the county fair everyone brings their rvs brings their their trailers and and they all come down and they're all camping for a week and they, they come from all over they bombard jerusalem and they camp down in the valley and up on the hillsides and everyone leaves their houses and they camp the way the children of israel would have done in the wilderness and his brothers jesus's brothers actually mock him before this festival. It's one of the most profound things that we can find in the scriptures is that before they go down and before Jesus goes down, his brothers look at him and go, hey, Jesus, there's going to be a lot of people. They're all celebrating. And you claim that all of this history is pointing to you. Once you go down in the middle of, of the camp, once you go down to the county fair and tell everyone who you are, Jesus, I mean, mom seems to think you're pretty special. Right? You know, you imagine being Jesus's brother and mom, Mary, walking in. Well, I know Jesus didn't do it. So which one of you did it? Right? Right? You imagine the resentment that's there. And yet what we find is Jesus's brothers mock him. Here's why this is important to note is if you were making something up, if you, if, you were, if you were trying to get your story straight with your siblings, if, if you would make sure that the gospel writers wrote into the text that Jesus' brothers always believed in who he was. They, they would say, listen, let's not give any shadow of doubt. Let's, let's write it in such a way that they remove all doubt and we keep consistent that Jesus was who he says he was. But that's not how reality works, right? That's what you find in investigative report. Many of you watch these crime documentaries. You binge out on Netflix. What you find is when the story is too exact and there's no discrepancies in the story and when people begin to repeat the same thing over and over again, you start to become fishy. Someone's given them what to say because reality is much more nuanced than that. Are you with me? And so what, if you were making a once upon a time and trying to tell the story of Jesus, you would not put in there that Jesus' brothers questioned who he was unless that's actually how it happened. And see, how it went was they once mocked him. They once ridiculed him and gave mockery to him about who he was. But when they saw him raised from the dead, they went from, from mock, mark, mockery to martyrdom. They went from mocking him to actually believing and actually professing and going to their death, believing that their brother was God and they saw him raised from the dead. How many of you have a boneheaded brother? 
right? How, how many of you are a boneheaded brother, right? How many of you could convince your brother, your boneheaded brother could convince you that you're God, right? And convince you to go to your death for him, believing he is God. It was highly unlikely because what we know about the human condition, as soon as stuff hits the fan and the heat is on, we'll quickly rat out the closest to us. Come on, somebody. You know what that was like. Mom comes in. Hey, she did it. He did it, right? I'm not going, like, I'm good, but I'm not going down for you, right? We know when you look at Ponzi schemes, when you when you look at, at mob bosses and mob families, when the heat is on, everyone will rat out the person closest to them when they're all covering up a lie. But what if you saw something that fundamentally changed you? What if you saw your brother crucified, murdered, and everyone is desolate and depressed in the entire weekend and Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, you saw your brother raised from the dead. Listen, if you see a dead man walking, it will fundamentally change you, friend. And that's exactly what we know about the, the, the siblings of Jesus. And this is one of the strongest defenses, one of the strongest points of evidence that we have for the validity of the resurrection. So we actually believe that the Bible tells a very literal story that Jesus actually died and bodily raised from the dead and his brothers saw it, his mother saw it, 500 hundred people and more saw him raised from the dead and it gives strong support and evidence that Jesus actually was who he says he was and this is the story this is where we find ourselves these strong the, the these strong statements that Jesus claimed we see the transformation of his siblings, which gives strong support to who he claimed to be and who he actually was. And Jesus would go down to this festival, and when they would see all the tents in the valley, he would make this claim. And what they would see is lights in the tents. So when the sun went down, you would see the tents glowing just like we might look at our globe today and look at the electricity illuminating the globe, yet they would look down on this valley and see all of these tents. And Jesus stands up in the middle of the festival and says, I am the light of the world. He, he would say this at a festival where they're all feasting. He would say, I am the bread of life. One part of the festival, at the end of the, the festival of, of tents or booths, the priest would go up to the altar and he would pour out water that would flow down amongst the people. And they would take jars and jars of water that would make this, this pseudo river that would run as a symbol. And Jesus stands up and says, no, no, if, if you believe in me, I will give you rivers of living water that will burst forth out of your very being. He interrupts the entire festival. He changes their memorializing, their celebration, their honoring of the past. Because ultimately when Jesus says something, when Jesus brings truth to you, when you wrestle with who Jesus is, it will fundamentally change 
the very fabric of how you think about reality and space and time, how you think about the past, how you think about the present, and ultimately how you hope for the future. See, quickly, they're frustrated because the types of things Jesus was saying was actually uh, unraveling from their perspective their whole historical past. They have celebrations and rituals, and yet Jesus says all of these celebrations, all of these rituals are pointing to me. And you know how frustrating it is when someone questions your upbringing? No, no one, no one, right? Right? Someone comes into your house and, and, and changes where you sit or how we do this. Because quickly, if you go over to someone's house for Thanksgiving and Christmas, we quickly say, well, this is how we do it around here. No, none of you, right? Liars, all of you, right? Every one of you, right? Because ultimately, we have traditions and we have things that we've set in place that, that help us anchor the present. And it usually comes from the past. But when Jesus begins to speak to the present, oftentimes it will unravel how you see the past. And depending on your perspective and depending on your stature, you either become frustrated with that or you will celebrate and rejoice in that, that he changes the past. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But oftentimes what happens is we do things, and, and can we be honest? We don't always know why we do what we do. It's just how mom and them did it. That's where they say it where I'm from. All right, all right, all right. Right? That's just how we've always done it. One pastor would tell this story, this kind of folk tale of a priest who would give a sermon and outside of the window of the church, there was a cat that would always come and just make all kinds of noise right in the middle of his sermon, right in the important parts of the sermon. And so what he started doing, it was he started tying the cat's tail to a tree just off in the courtyard away from the church. And you go, uh, man, that's cruel. I, I think that's awesome, right? And, and uh, I like to do it to one of the stray cats that hang out at my house. And, and, and so and, and don't judge me. <laughs> like, so like, you know, whatever. You didn't even fill out the visitor's card. Don't judge me, right? And, and so, uh, yeah, he would tie every Sunday, he would tie the cat's tail to the tree. But then the priest died and another priest took his place who loved cats, and, but he continued to tie the cat to the tree. And then the cat died, so they went out and got another cat to tie to the tree. See, oftentimes what we start is, a, is solving a problem. We just carry on with the steps of our answer. We never ask the question, why do we do this? What is the purpose of this? What is this all pointing to? And that's ultimately these festivals, these feasts are all now just become religious ritual and they don't realize that it was always a pathway pointing forward because the past whether we like it or not helps create the future that we have today see today is the totality of all the decisions and happenstance that happened yesterday are you with me I mean, when you look at today, it is shaped by what happened yesterday. And oftentimes that can be paralyzing. But see what happens when Jesus says the types of things that he says, it causes us to look at the present, the past, and the future much different. They quickly say this, what do you mean that you will not taste 
death. You will not see. Jesus makes this bold claim where he says that if you follow my words, you will not see death. And they quickly go, wait a second. All, all our patriarchs, all our heroes, they died. And you're saying they didn't keep the Torah? Well, yeah, I am saying they didn't keep it. Abraham didn't even have it. And yet, we realize very quickly that oftentimes, can we be honest, and they did this, is, is sometimes the people we make heroes of, we become apologists for. You ever notice that? No, no, no. I know this is really hard to imagine. Imagine that you had your team. Let's just picture this with me. Like you had your team, and, and we'll say one team's blue and the other team's red. Let's just picture this. I know it's really difficult. And, and we'll say, well, let's put one team on the left, and let's put another team on the right. Uh, and, and, and let's say that if you were on one particular team and your team had a leader, uh, I know this is really hard to imagine. Try to keep up. And... Uh, and if you if you had these people that that all of their their uh, their their good qualities you would accentuate and you would say all those things and you would never bring up the bad right no i know this is hard uh but uh, uh and, and what would happen is is if you loved one you would despise the other i know it's really hard to picture this as relevant uh but uh, it is, right? And I know sometimes what happens is as I talk in, in kind of ethereal ways and hope people will bring out the implications and sometimes people are like, Pastor Sam, won't you just say it? So let's just say that if you were a Democrat, uh, that, that you would become uh, a, an apologist for all Democrats and you would, you would begin to point the finger and point out all the blame of Republicans. And let's just say that if you were a Republican, I know is this specific enough for you? And and if 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 you had a leader or a politician that you liked, you would only bring up their traits that you liked, and you would never bring up their flaws, and you would avoid the bad. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You'll love the one, you'll hate the other. You'll cling to the one, you'll despise the other. See, you can't have any other king than this king that you said that you inaugurated this morning as Lord of your life because what will happen is you will become a defensive one. You will ignore the flaws. You will not hold people accountable and you will ignore the reality that this book, maybe you thought this was a book about morally superior people doing great things. This is a book about everyone else getting it wrong and one person getting it right and that's good news for you and I, friend. This is a story about everyone blowing it, friend, messing up. They bring up Abraham. <laughs> Let's talk about Abraham, bro. Let, let me just tell you that before he was Abraham, he was Abram, and he went to Egypt to get out of a famine. And when he got there, Pharaoh saw his hot wife, Sarah. That's right. And, and, <laughs> saw his hot wife was like I want her and, and he thought well he's gonna take her anyway I might as well save my hide while I'm at it so he lies and says his wife is his sister so that he won't kill him and just take his wife yeah big hero stuff right bro you're greater than Abraham oh the dude who lied and said his wife was his sister so Pharaoh would take her let me tell you, the good news is the Bible does not hide the flaws of our patriarchs. 
It's reality. It is more nuanced. There's not just good and bad. There are flaws and mistakes on all sides. And we don't know the whole story. And we pray that God is writing a bigger story than the page we are living on, friend. And so the, yet, what happens is Pharaoh actually takes Sarah, but then can't remember if it's a a plague, a tribulation, something comes on the house of Pharaoh and wakes Pharaoh up to realize that he has taken another man's wife. And before, because Sarah is a part of the promise that God will give them a child and, 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 and bless them through this child. And Sarah is a part of this. See, God doesn't just only bring the promises or, or he also pr- or protect the promises. He also protects the avenues in which he intends to produce the promise. And oftentimes we get in the way trying to make our own way. And Abraham did the same sort of things. And constantly Abraham's way was working against God's way. Be careful that your way doesn't work against God's way. And yet Pharaoh, let me tell you that the Bible, the the children of Israel do not celebrate Pharaoh they do, they do not honor him and celebrate his accomplishments, but yet in this story, he is the morally superior one who comes to Abraham and says, why did you lie to me that this was your sister when it was indeed your wife? What are you trying to bring upon me? Man, what? You mean Pharaoh could do something good and actually cause conviction towards Abraham? Yeah, because it's more nuanced, friends. You don't know everything about everybody I know that's really hard. You don't know everything about everybody. Hey, man, some of you are still having a hard time with that, right? Uh, you don't know everything. If we continue to say that every week, I promise you life will go better. Amen? And yet they bring up Abraham. Well, maybe they bring up Moses. Moses who murdered someone. Moses who disobeyed. Moses, who was constantly conflicted about the people and about what God would say to the people. Or maybe they bring up David. They bring up the patriarch, man, the one who committed adultery and then had her spouse murdered on the front lines. That one? You want that guy? Really? Because the Bible is indeed this story about everyone getting it wrong. And unless you're able to redefine how you look at the past, if you memorialize and make monuments to and you think you got it right back then, you will not listen to the truth of the today because you're so set in your ways of yesterday. Are you with me? You can be so convinced of your own morality, your own superiority, that the monuments you've made of the past need to be the torn down idols of today. Amen? See, they quickly start questioning. Wait a second. What you're saying is making me question Abraham, making me question Moses, making me question this whole festival. What do you say? Do you think, who are you? And then he says, he says, he points this, he makes this statement, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And before he says that, he says, Abraham, actually, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And then it says, he saw it and was glad. 
somehow he's saying that who Jesus is is transcendent. This I am is outside of time and space, outside of the very fabric of what we think is really go quickly. Wait a second, they died. What do, you, what do you mean Abraham saw it? And then they quickly go very literal, and they say, wait, you're only 50 years old. You, you're too young to be a pastor, you know? You, you, what, what, do you, what do you know? What, what, what do you mean? You've never seen Abraham? And he makes this statement. He says, Abraham looked for me, actually saw me, and was glad. And before Abraham was, I am. He's making the claim that Abraham was brought into existence, but he exists. And when you think about Jesus existing before all of creation, John is going to open the statement. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Paul's going to say that Jesus is the very image of the invisible God and that all of creation was made by him and for him and all of creation is held together. When you see the person of Jesus for who he is and actually believe who he claimed to be, you'll see life and death different. You will see the past different. You will see your present reality different and the hope that you have for the future will be different. Abraham was in the past, but what happened with him, what he saw, what Christ showed him, what God revealed to him was his hope and sustaining for the future. See, God made Abraham a promise. And through that, they made a covenant together. And yet the Bible is this story about how man can't keep his end of the bargain. So God became a man in order that he may keep both ends of the bargain. And so this bargain goes on to where God tells Abraham, I want you to give your only son, your son Isaac, the one I promised. The thing that you thought this was about, I want to show you something different. I want you to be willing to give me your only son. And yet, maybe you don't know the story. The story goes that Abraham's actually going to do it. He's going to sacrifice his Son, And it's so counterintuitive because God has condemned and abolished other nations for child sacrifice. So why would he use this? Why would he even, even start this conversation? Because there's something about our children. There's something about the created things that are right in front of this miraculous thing of life. Abraham in his old age finally has a son. Any of you who are parents, you know how precious your children are. Would you be willing to give up the most precious thing to you? And yet God calls Abraham to make a sacrifice. And so they go up to this hill and here, here's the symmetry. Here, here's what we see in the past that we actually, Abraham was able to look forward into the future because of this day, Isaac carries the wood on his back up the mountain. And he keeps asking as he's carrying, he goes, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says this, in faith, looking forward to the future, God will provide. He goes up the mountain, they lay and make an altar, and he puts Isaac on the altar. And even to the last moment, Abraham believed the future. His present reality was so informed by the goodness of who God is that it gave him hope to see something beyond his present reality. Sometimes we can get so fixated in the moment. 
We can get so bound by the moment that we don't remember who God is in the moment that changes how we see tomorrow. That's good preaching. Thank you, Pastor. (laughs) And yet, to the very last moment, as Abraham goes to draw his, his blade and take his son's life, God tells him to stop. An angel of the Lord stops him. And there's a ram who's caught in the thicket, in the brush, in the thorns. And there's that ram as a substitute in the place of Isaac. And Abraham's able to look forward from that day on and know that God would provide a sacrifice. When Jesus says, Abraham looked forward to my day and he saw it and was glad, he's speaking of that moment on that mountain where ultimately the day would come where Jesus would put wood on his back. And he would walk up a mountain where he would have a crown of thorns on his head, just like the ram caught in the thorns. And he would give his life. And this time, God would not spare his own son, but loved you in such a way that this is how we would know what love is. Not that we first loved God, but that God first loved us, not sparing his own son that he made him who knew no sin. There was one person who got it right. Everyone else has got it wrong. And the wages of sin is death. If you think about justice and you think about injustice and you say there's been something that's done wrong, this is unjust. Your heart tells you someone has to pay for this. And yet if all of humanity lives and dwells in injustice, You say, why did Christ have to die? Because there were some things in Sam Kaiser that needed to die. How about you? There's some things in me that needed to be put to death. How about you? This is where Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I who live. I put to death the old me so that a new me could be resurrected. For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. The past is done away with. See, when you hear the reality of who Jesus is, it will change how you look at the past. And for most of us, that is good news. Amen? For those of us who want to hold on, no, I'm thankful that it is done away with, that my sins are forgiven, that it's cast as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. Because if you believe the truth in your present reality, you'll realize that you'll have to recreate how you look at the past. And that's good news. A few years ago, I was at the Los Angeles airport. I think they call that LAX with the locals, right? I was at LAX and I was at the airport and I walked past this scraggly guy who, man, uh, he, he looked like he'd been out all night, black skinny jeans, a black uh, shirt and a black trucker hat. His beard was down to here and he had long hair down to there. And I did a double take when I walked by. I was like, sir, do you, and you ever had that moment where you're not used to seeing someone in a certain context? You know, you've seen them before, but then you see the pastor at the grocery store and you're like, what? Right? Yeah. Like, I remember I used that in first service. Some teachers were like, you know, the kids see their teachers outside of school and they're like, you exist? You live somewhere else other than, right? 
Some of you think I sleep right here, right? Like, I'm just the preacher in your movie. You just come back. I'm always here, right? And, and, and yet, you know, I, I kind of did that. I did a double take, and, and I walked past him. I looked at Sarah and I was like, man, and something happened to me where I got tongue tied and I couldn't even articulate who it was. So I pulled out my phone to the last song that I played on iTunes and I went, Sarah, that's Chris Stapleton, right? And we had two kids then, so we had a double stroller. We have four now, so you imagine how we get around, right? And, and, and I was like, she's like, we got to be those people. And I was like, yes, we do. And I turned that double <laughs> stroller around and I walked up to him and I said, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, but are you Chris Stapleton? And I tell you, like an angel who smokes 12 packs a day, he said, why, yes, I am. <laughs> You're Chris Stapleton. I was like, we were over there like, I think that's him. And he's like, that's funny. We were over there discussing your T-shirt. I was like, what? I feel violated. People, you know, watching me everywhere I go, you know, right? I was over there discussing him, and he was over there discussing me. And I remember when I would tell this story about how I met the Chris Stapleton, from a, a kid from eastern Kentucky where I'm from, and, and the son of a coal miner's daughter. And, and, I, and I, he, he said, we were over there discussing your T-shirt. And I was so embarrassed, and I, I would leave that out of the story because I was so embarrassed that this multi-Grammy award-winning artist was distracted by my big box chain graphic T-shirt. It's like, what did that shirt say? Right? And I used to edit it out because I had this, had this long T on it and it said, create the past. And see, I'm a guy who lives in words and I'd never thought about it. I think about it much more when I think about what type of t-shirts I wear. What am I saying? Because everything's preaching a sermon. Here's this guy who's a, a writer and a lyricist and he's looking for inspiration and he sees something that doesn't quite make sense walk past him. Create the past. How do you create the past? How do you, how do, you do that? And I, 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 he says, what does that mean? And I quickly just said, I think it means to redefine how you look at it. And I quickly wanted to move on. Like, so where in Eastern Kentucky are you from? <laughs> Let's Let's talk about you, right? And, and I was like, I'm from Eastern Kentucky. He's like, well, we're a long way from home. I was like, we made it, right? right? Me and you, we're, we're not the same. Okay, anyways. Uh, and I remember thinking about that moment. And when I get to passages like this, I think about that story because ultimately who Jesus is will actually, when you meet him for who he is and who he claimed to be and what he actually does, he actually creates the past. He actually redefines all those moments where you thought he wasn't there. He makes you see it different. All of a sudden, when you are awakened to who he is, you'll see that the whole story's always been about him the entire time. All of a sudden, you'll read the story of Abraham different. You'll read the story of Moses different. You'll see that David ultimately is just a foreshadowing. He killed Goliath, but Jesus would destroy death, hell, and the grave, and they are all foreshadowings. Lesser than this great Christ. See, Jesus cannot be one among many because he stands head and shoulders above them all. And what he says is true. You have a choice whether to believe it. And if you do believe it, then what you'll find is he will change how you define your past. He'll show you that he was there. He'll show you that he forgives you. He'll show you that those moments were only shaping you into who you are today. And that those moments that you thought would be the very thing that set you back, 
will be the very thing that props you up, where your testimony becomes life-giving to others, where they see you just like all the other patriarchs, all the other people who got it wrong, where you can stand boldly. The Bible says that we, we although stripped bare, can come boldly before the throne room of grace. Why? Because he clothes us in his righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. He took our sin. He took our past. He took our mistakes. And it was laid upon him and he condemned sin in the flesh. And he put it to death that there might be a new day. Behold, you are a new creation. There's a new day. That's why we celebrate this new creation on Sunday. The Lord's Day, the first day of the week, because this is the day that everything changed. This was the day where he created a new world that has fundamentally changed the very fabric of space and time, how we see death, how we see our present reality, and how we hope for the future. That's why Psalms 118 would say this, this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. The question is, do you see this as a new day? Do you see this as a new creation bursting forth right in the middle of this one? Do you see God doing a new thing, making the old things new? Because if you do, then you'll see your past different. You'll begin to redefine. And ultimately, that will begin to show you how you think about your present day. And like Abraham, you can hope forward for the future. See, what happens is, is we can get so fixated in our present, we can become paralyzed by it. That ultimately, our moment today, just like we think, here's what happens. We think the totality of who we are today are the mistakes and decisions that we made yesterday. But God is saying this is a new day that you're a new creation, that if you trust God, this is a, the day of the Lord, this eternal rest. You can put to death, death, and you can rest in who he is today. That's why he says he's Lord of the Sabbath, rest, because today is a day where you can stop striving, stop working, and stop thinking that all of your decisions are what make the day. And what do you mean by that, Pastor Sam? Because if we don't re begin to redefine how we look at the past, we won't see the present correctly. We'll be bound by our past. But Jesus sets us free from the past. So then, the same way we realize that we have no control over the future. And that's good news. <laughs> Some of you control freaks just got nervous, didn't you? Let me tell you what's good news. The future does not belong to you. Amen? See, that's why this is called good news, not good advice. Good advice presumes on your ability to create the future. See, if you're not careful in seeing this as good news, you'll be bound by your past and you'll think that you have control over the future and you don't and you know it deep down and that's where anxiety and depression creep in. That's where everyone is constantly in today going, well, what's gonna happen tomorrow? Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. What, what would worrying about tomorrow do to add one day to it? Don't worry about tomorrow. 
Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. See, the future doesn't belong to you. And that's good news. Well, Pastor Sam, how does my decisions and God's sovereign will that he's in control, how do they work together? Well, I've been using this illustration for a few years now. How many of you, uh, you go to bed at 10 o'clock? How many of you go to bed at 9 o'clock? Man, this is the second service. Uh, 11.30, right? <laughs> uh, mid, how many night owls we got in here, right? Just tell, that's why you're at the second service, right? Right, some of you be showing up at live at five, I know you, right? Like, uh, <clears throat> right? You decide, uh, you, you decide when you sleep. Try not to sleep. Try to make a decision not to go to sleep. Your body can, can go longer without food and water than it can without sleep. I mean, it makes me think of Psalms 23. He's like, if you don't want to lay down, he makes me lie down in green pastures, right? 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 You don't want to go to sleep? He'll make you go to sleep. Your body will literally shut down by design. He will make you rest. Think about the irony. God could have made us anyway. God could have made us to go long and never sleep. Yet in his sovereignty, every single night, you rest. Why? Pointing to something. Showing us something. And yet your body's at work. Sometimes you can do more laying down than you can standing up. Somebody say amen to that. See? You may get to decide. tempur Pillow top. Right? Waterbed. <laughs> Remember those? Right. Some of you shared a waterbed with your sibling. That's why you still resent each other. Anyways, uh, that's on your mom and dad, friend. Right. Right. You may get to decide how and when, but you will rest. And that's by design because he is the Lord of the rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He puts us at Rest. Adam's first day was God's seventh day. Adam and Eve started at rest. That's where we were and that's where we're going. The question is, how do you see today? Are you at rest? Are you resting in who he is? That he's in control? And that my decisions, I'm not in control because I don't know everything and everybody. But he knows because he's transcendent because he said before Abraham was, before your neighbor, before that politician, before that president, before that king, before that nation, I am. I'm in charge. I'm all that there is. I'm all that there will be. So rest in I am. Look at Philippians 4. You thought I forgot. <clears throat> You go, Pastor Sam, how? man, it's really hard because I, I, I'm so worried about tomorrow. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's happening with this. I don't know that I trust this. I mean, how do I, man, and I, I'm constantly bickering and fighting with this person and that person's ideas and this person. Like, how do I rejoice as Abraham did that he would see his day and would be glad? Here's what Paul says to the Philippians. Look at verse 1. He first says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, 
my joy, my crown. Stand firm in the Lord, in King Jesus. Stand firm. Then he says this, I entreat Edoa, and uh, none of us know how to pronounce these names, so I'm just going to butcher it. But no one knows how it's really pronounced. Uh, Edoa, and I entreat uh, Sintica to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask also true, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. (laughs) Can you believe that's in the Bible? That there's a fight amongst women and it gets brought up in the Bible. I know it's really hard to picture how that could happen. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just reading the text, okay? I, I watched a video of a pastor the other day where he says, you want to you find a church with a spine? Find a church that pastors women well. <laughs> it got quiet in first service too when I said that. Right, because now we have an ethic and if we're not careful, if you don't identify with me or you're not a part of me, if you're not also a woman, you can't speak into issues with women. I know it's really hard to picture that people would think like that, but that's true. You with me? Amen? Some of you guys are like, dude, I'm not, I'm not getting into this with you. Right? See, see here, here's what he says. He says, what happens is, and I know it's hard to picture this, that w- these two women who once focused on the gospel and the announcement of what Jesus did, they're caught up in their opinions. They're po- ca- caught up in their politics, how to parent. What I, I know it's hard to picture that people could be at odds like this and, and actually call themselves believers. I know it's hard. But it's true then and it's true now that people can get sidetracked And he says this, he says, help these ladies agree, remind them of the gospel and men, you do not get to stand on the sidelines. (laughs) Amen. Come on, ladies. Amen. You don't, you don't, you don't get like, I don't know, man, she's, she's on that thing again, right? Like she's really fight. Like, listen, you do not get to get to be absent. If we're going to be people who know that good men, strong men, strong fathers and people, they are active in their home, in their church, in the community, in the life of everything around them. Somebody say amen to that. And when men are absent, when men are absent, man, it is to the depravity of the community in our country. Someone say amen to that. And so he says, you don't get to stay on the sidelines. See, we need a church full of strong women. Amen. You guys got to do better than that, right? (laughs) We need a church full of strong women. Amen. Amen. Not in spite of strong men. We need a church full of strong men as well. Amen. We need strong men and women full of the announcement of the gospel where we believe that this moment right here is to be steward well so that we have hope for the future, that we see things different, that we're not caught up in worry, we're not caught up in gossip and bickering and backbiting, especially in the church, that we help one another by speaking the truth in love. So then he goes on and he says, this is how you do it. Rejoice in the Lord always 
Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Let, re let me remind you of how good you have it. Let me remind you that this is the day of salvation, that God is king, and I am to rejoice and be glad. So then be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and petition, make your requests known. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding. See, some of us need to put away the blog posts, the text threads, the group chats. Some of us need to put down the meme accounts. Some of us need to stop watching the news and the bottomless pit that is social media because you have lost your ability to rejoice. See, rejoice implies that you actually do something. You say something, right? You're going to find this out tomorrow, and it's easy. Here's how it happens. Rejoicing implies that there's joy. You with me? See how that works? And rejoicing is the outward expression of inward joy. The question is, how do I get joy? Anybody asking that question right now? Man, how do I get joy? Enjoyment. You enjoy. See, when you enjoy something so much so, it will invest in your overall vitality of joy, and you can't help but speak well of it. Like tomorrow, when you sip on that Santa Rita Hills Pinot, <laughs> no judgment, just it's Labor Day, right? You bite into that tri-tip, right? You can't help but go, mmm, that's good. Right? Unless you're at someone else's barbecue and you're like, well, they, should, they left it on too long. You know, <laughs> everyone's got an opinion about tri-tip. Anyways, right? right? You can, when you taste something good, when you enjoy something so much so, you don't have to conjure it up. You don't need a band. You don't need someone on stage telling you to speak well. You can't help but say, mmm, that's good. And the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You want to find a litmus test for where your heart is right now in this moment and whether or not you see that Jesus has fundamentally changed the fabric of reality, the past, present, and future, watch how you talk. Watch what you're saying. Is it rejoicing in or constantly criticizing of? Are you trapped and paralyzed in the moment that you have no hope for the future? Or like Abraham, do you see that he is coming and he is here? Rejoice and be glad in it. And then he says this. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, if you want an antidote, for your anxiety and your depression right now about the future, he says this, finally, brothers and sisters, those that are quarreling, those that are fighting and backbiting, let me give you the antidote for it. Whatever is true, think on these things. Think on these things, whatever is true. Look, ver verse eight of Philippians four. Think about whatever's true, whatever's lovely, whatever's worthy of praise. What, if there's anything excellent, when was the last time you put down the social media feed and pondered on what was good and excellent? What was right in front of you? Because friends, here's what you'll do. You'll be so paralyzed by, the, by thinking about the future, you'll miss the kids that God's given you right in front of you, the community of faith, the friends, the barbecue you're gonna have tomorrow. Let me encourage you. Enjoy what God has given you so much so that it changes the very nature of how you speak and then others will hear and they'll go, that sounds different. That sounds like hope. Why do they have hope? And when they ask you, be ready 
to tell them about Jesus. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you put us at rest and we can rest in this day because this is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad. We'll forget about the worries of tomorrow because just like we have no control over the past, you've done away with it. You have sovereign control of the future. And that's good news because I don't know how to write this story. But you do because you're above all and before all. You are all that is. You are the I am. And that's good news. So we'll declare your Lord. We'll inaugurate you as king of our lives. The Lord is our shepherd. So then why would we want for anything? You make us to lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our souls. You lead us in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will be reminded that it's merely a shadow and that we will never taste nor see death because you change all of reality. For your rod and your staff, they comfort us. We know every victory you've won and we'll keep counting the notches. You prepare a table in the presence of our enemies. Why would we get up and fight and leave the table that the king has left for us to feast at? We'll stop fighting. We'll start feasting and enjoy what you've given us. You anoint our head with oil. Our cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life as we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise? <laughs>